0: Hello, welcome to Discover the Vocation. I'm your host, Father Danny. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all those who are watching, any special visitors or guests who are watching or listening. Welcome to the program. This is the program where we meet the various people of our diocese and hear about their vocations, how they discover them, and how they are living them out authentically day by day. My special guest today is Deacon Michael Masterinus. Deacon Michael is currently a transitional deacon uh, for the Capuchins. He lives in Blenheim with the South Kent family of parishes he's serving right now. Brother Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's wonderful. Um, I some good news uh, for those who are watching or listening from your own community. Uh, you're apparently now been recently appointed the new vocations director. So this is kind of your opportunity to share a little bit about your vocational experience and kind of your vision of you know what is a vocation.
1: Yes, yeah, it's very exciting, new journey.
0: Yes, I can imagine. So, how have things been with the pandemic? Have you found it kind of a bit of a challenge to serve the community there? I know you're currently living in Blenheim, but you serve a number of parishes in the family of parishes. Is, is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it has been a challenge. We're serving three ch- churches out here in the family, and it's it's not the same. Like the parishioners not coming, and um, some of them are uh, you know restricted at home because they're elderly, and and with with the pandemic, it has been challenging. But it's also been a blessing because. With technology, they're able to watch us at home. So We, we stream our masses, especially um, at St. Michael's in Ridgetown, so people are able to keep in touch with us that way. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been nice. that way. That's great.
0: Brother Mike, uh, before we get into kind of the nitty-gritty about your vocation, why don't you share with us a little bit about your family background? Did you grow up in the Cylinder or did you grow up somewhere else?
1: Uh, I grew up in Hamilton, Ontario. So uh, yeah, I was always belonged to the I'm a Hamilton kid or Steeltown kid, as uh, it's famous for the the steel towns and the the mills out there. But I've yeah, I grew up in Hamilton, and I'm the youngest of four kids. Uh, my parents were um, my mom was actually born in Kenya, um, uh, but her parents were from India. My dad is also from India, from Goa, and so the family is pretty much all situated from Goa that was the main place where mom grew up grew up and uh, then my parents came to Canada my dad came first my mom came second they they actually didn't know each other but it was through my uncle uh, my uncle priest in India my dad's brother he was my mom's parish priest and he talked to my dad and my mom about each other and got them writing to letters to each other and uh, so yeah when they came my dad came in 67 and uh, my mom came in 1971 and she had 30 days. And the government said to my dad, you have 30 days to decide whether you're going to get married or what. Otherwise, we send her back home. And she would back then she was living in India. And 50 years later, they, they're married. They're happily married and they're together. So, And they're still living in Hamilton. So and I always go back to visit them. Uh, frequently to see them because we're close and it's nice to to go back and see a place where you grew up or you're from you know? wonderful so, yeah
0: growing up in hamilton was there a particular parish your family went to together or was there a, maybe a few different churches you went to in hamilton
1: yeah there was one there was one where i was baptized at saint Mar- saint market mary and uh they call it the mountain area hamilton mountain and then they have a downtown area And the reason why they call it a mountain, it's not like a huge mountain, but back then, but in the early, you know, ancient times, it was the glaciers. And when they receded, they left a big chunk of land and uh, density was separation. And so that's how that became known as the mountain, upper part mountain, and then the lower part, the downtown area. So we went to mass every Sunday, faithfully, you know, I was blessed to have really good parents um, we prayed the rosary together with my sisters and my brother, and um, it was it was a very, very good environment. And I always credit uh, my vocation to religious life and to priesthood to my parents because they gave that good example from the, from the very beginning.
0: Wonderful. Did you, as growing up as a young boy, did you serve the altar? Did you do readings, or were you kind of just sitting with the congregation?
1: I was a shy kid. I was very shy, so I didn't bug. I wasn't one of those kids who could, you know, bug my parents to be an altar server or something <laughs> like that. But uh, it wasn't actually until I became an adult, probably in my twenties, where uh, I became a Eucharistic minister. But and then yeah, in my early twenties also I got involved with the youth group in my parish there, um where the associate pastor asked me if I would like to do this, and I was terrified. I was like, Jesus! He said, "I'll give you a week. You think over it." And my mom right there was like, "Go for it! Go for it! Do it!" and and I was so scared, right? Because i never, you know, I was very shy. I never could think I could doing this, something like that. Um, so actually getting involved with that, I think, was a real good spark in my vocation. That's when I started thinking more seriously about the priesthood. And,
0: so, yeah. Was there a particular moment in your in your discernment that kind of led you to discern the Capuchins was or was this something that you have encountered or, or in your own experience?
1: Yes, um, I actually went to the seminary, it was, I was studying for Hamilton Diocese, actually, and, uh, but I was only there for three months, for one semester, and at uh, that time, I'm not sure if they're still studying there, but seminarians were studying at St. Philip's Seminary in Toronto, and um, and I went there, and I, I just sensed a call to Brotherhood, and uh, the problem was, is that, uh, like, we'd go and study, and the environment is beautiful, but I didn't think that. I just felt God calling me to religious life and something about the poor, working with the poor. And, you know, that call was not clear. I had no idea what was going on. But the more I prayed about it, I just felt strong, a strong call to, to leave that seminary. And when I went back home, I still I went back to Hamilton. My pastor, the parish priest, took me down to the Good Shepherd Center um, and the brothers who run that. And I started discerning, working with them and volunteering every week with the poor at the food bank. And they serve meals every week and then they give out groceries to the poor. And that's where I experienced a deep love of of the poor. I uh, I could see Jesus in them. And I felt a sense that this is where I belong, where I felt a call to do something with my life surrounded around serving the poor and Christ in the poor. And uh, as that call became stronger, I started visiting different communities outside the Good Shepherd Brothers. And when I found one day, I just woke up and I just thought, you know, I going to look up something about St. Francis. And I don't know why. I, I did not plan that. I just thought, because I always thought the Franciscans, you know, just crazy and they're just too austere or they're too, you know, too out there. <laughs> and there's something I never dreamt I could do when I thought about it. Eh? Um, but when I, when I went online, I just, I found out uh, this restaurant that we have. It's called St. Francis Table. And that's situated in Parkdale in Toronto. And what that is, is it's a restaurant that serves sit down meals to the homeless, to the poor. So the hungry will come and we sit, then we serve them. They sit down. They don't have to stand in line. They just sit down and we serve them meals. And there's a lounge next door. And the friary part where the brothers live is above that. And there's a lounge with a tv and you can have coffee and tea It's a really nice environment It's music being played uh, it's, and we charge them a dollar for their meal and the reason why we do that is for their to uphold their dignity uh, so to make them feel that they're contributing to society which they are and that they're an important part of society and they have dignity as humans um, and so when i found out about that place i thought wow what is that what is a table being named after St. Francis for you know like what's that all about and I saw pictures of like groups that seemed to be volunteers and I phoned and they said they connected me with the vocation director who was uh, brother Louis Musso and he told me he said come on down he, he's in Toronto and at that time I never thought about driving to Toronto I was terrified because the highway in the line, and you know <laughs> I was just not interested. So, but I remember my grandmother told me. She said, "You know, you know so much. You've been talking so much about this vocation. You have to go. Something tells me that you need to be there." And I went. And um, and I remember telling him about my love for the poor, and helping, and the joy I found at the Good Shepherd Center. And he said, "You know what? That's great because that's what we're all about." And he gave me a Padre Pio rosary and a a bunch of pamphlets and brochures about the order. And I went home feeling, I think, I remember telling my mom, I I think I found where I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, where I'm going to do the rest of my life. And, you know, now it's going to be 12 years in January I've been with the order. And it's, I haven't regretted it since. And it's been a peace, the sense of peace. And I think that's one of the the things that with vocations you have, if you have that peace, then you can really know it's, it's a good way of being assured by the lord that this is something that's very authentic and real you know? mm-hmm. so that's how my early days uh, with the vocation started
0: beautiful um for those who are listening right now um they might hurt they might have heard the term capuchin or capuchin depends on your translation of it um but in, in, in kind of the simplest way, what what is a Capuchin and kind of what is your charisma, What is your gift? You kind of alluded a little bit in terms of serving the poor, but is there a specific sort of mandate or, or rule towards that community and that order?
1: Well, that's a fantastic question, Santos. Uh, one of the things about that, the the, cap, the word Capuchin, people always tell me they think about the coffee, cappuccino coffee, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I joke with some of the brothers said that maybe that'd be a good way to evangelize. They just give out free cappuccinos. But actually, the word cappuccino uh, is an Italian word. And it means long hooded one long hood. And as capuchins, we have a long hood that sticks up it's a pointy thing here. And, and the the little kids when they first saw the friars, um, when we after the reform started happening, we changed the, the habit was looking different and we had longer hoods than the original Franciscan ordered it, um. So so basically, the Capuchins are a reform of the order, but the long hooded hoods were very very uh, uh, hard to miss. And the kids, young kids, Italian kids, used to go around calling the friars Capuchins, cappuccinos Capuchins, and so that's how the name Capuchin stuck with us. Lo- it basically means the hooded friars, and so yeah, that, that's it's a funny story because when you if you Google Capuchin you'll see either the coffee drink but or one of the most famous things you'll see there is um, is a monkey a picture of a monkey right so it's kind of funny when you think about that that uh, we're monkeys but no we're not we're friars but it just comes from the hood Um, the name of the our hood an italian word and that's how we we got our name
0: beautiful yeah and uh, and kind of what is the what is the life in the community like, you know, is there, a, a, you know, uh, you alluded to kind of the charism of, of serving the poor um, and, and, you know, living in community. Is there sort of a mandate or a rule that you live day in and day out by being a Capuchin?
1: Yes, well, first we do we, we follow the rule of St. Francis and we have a list of a, or a, a set of called cons- the constitutions which help us live out that rule today in the 21st century, because the way St. Francis and his early brothers lived was completely different than today. Um, So there's a lot of new things that are expected of us today that Francis didn't have to deal with. But primarily on a day-to-day basis, we have prayer. We pray morning and evening prayer together in community. Um, We also share meals. We'll have lunch or dinner together. And we also have monthly days of recollections where we gather together in prayer um, like a retreat atmosphere and we'll talk about a certain topic could be about a letter of Pope Francis it could be about our order and we also um, we gather as annually for retreats and there are Capuchin retreats when the brothers just get together we haven't seen each other for a year so there's not really much silence but there's a lot of fraternity aspect and we're led into a spirit of retreat that's usually about Franciscan could be about St. Clair or St. Francis um, or any of the other parts of the order and so, yeah so like on a daily day basis it's the hallmark of our life is about community life, fraternity um, the fact that we are a brotherhood and that we live as brothers regardless whether people are a priest or a deacon or whatever or not ordained it doesn't matter where we just go by the title brother and we live as brothers and so that's that's the most important thing about being a, a capuchin franciscan um, the way Francis called always brothers. And even for himself, he would call himself I, Brother Francis. And that's a very important part because it relates us with creation, with the people of God and with all of creation. Because we know Francis used to call Walter Brother Walter or Sister Earth, Mother Earth. And, and that was his way of relating with people. And I think one of uh, the most important things is when you start relating to, to people as brothers, then we can start having a whole different dimension of relationships with them. And so that's where the Franciscan part of uh, of our life comes into play.
0: You kind of had a unique discernment, if you will. I mean, um, a lot of religious communities, they send their seminarians to, you know, specific religious institutions or, or, or orders to uh, seminaries, but you actually went to St. Peter Seminary. Uh, and what was your experience like being in a diocesan seminary? Did you find that, you know, you were able to share a little bit about the joy of the, the captions with the men who are discerning the Diocesan priesthood. Did you learn a little bit about the Diocesan priesthood with, uh, from the men who are discerning?
1: Yeah, I, I would say both. I mean, I, I really was enthusiastic and very happy. And I can say my whole time in the seminary, I was treated with just kindness. And I think it was just a very beautiful way to incorporate my spirituality, living that out in, in the seminary and be able to have other seminarians, fellow seminarians ask me about my life and how, it, how we live it, just like you are. And I think that that was really unique and a great experience. And I also learned a lot about their life. And um, as you know, their, their formation is all about diocesan priesthood. And you might be wondering, why would they send a Capuchin, a religious brother there? But I think it's, it's a testimony to the fact that there's a diversity in the church. Um, there's uh, there's a diversity. We are a universal church. And it's not just one way, but there are many different vocations. And St. Peter's is a great seminary because it, it, it invites the lay people to study with us. It has the seminarians from the diocese, various dioceses, not just London, but all kinds, all, all over Canada come there. And also now the Capuchins have made their home there for studies. And so I think it's a great way of collaborating. And that's just the way our church is, right? And you look at this ongoing synod going on about unity, community, about listening, walking with each other. And I think that's a great example that uh, we can do that as a seminary and St. Peter's definitely provides that platform. And we're, we were happy to have, a, at least I was happy. And we, we as an order, I can say, are happy that we're coming to St. Peter's um, and, and studying there and to get a good solid formation and uh, the, the spirituality that you live, whether it's Capuchin or seminarian, it's, it's, it invites that way to live and you can share it. I know in many classes that I was able to share it. I know two of my other fellow brothers who are studying, Brother Martin, Brother Sunil, are doing the same. They're able to share their experiences as a brother uh, with the classmates. And I think that provides a more enriching experience.
0: No, I would agree with that. and It's a beautiful testimony to uh, the formation at St. Peter's as well as, as you said beautifully, you know, the diversity, unity within diversity that, you know, the church, there's many spiritualities, but we all go under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. And that's the, that's the goal. That's right. Yeah. Speaking of, of uh, you know, uh, your formation of, of course, we, we I announced your transitional deacon, meaning you're on the way to priesthood. So you're uh, soon will be ordained. Um, what, what's the date of your ordination? And, uh, you know, where's the ordination going to take place?
1: It's going to be on April 28, 2022. And I found out about this in in August, or no, sorry, October. And I was thinking, I said, geez, that's a real long wait. But once the provincial told me why, number one reason is the pandemic. We didn't know how things were going to go. But also, he wants it to happen before May, because we'll have a chapter, which is an election of our superiors. And our new provincial, who is the head of our province, of our group here in Canada, in central Canada. And so you wanted that to happen. And so we found out about that. And um, that, was, that was really good. And it's going to be held in Toronto, St. Philip Neri Church, which is pretty much kind of like our main church that we have. It's one of our biggest ones that we have, uh, that we're serving in. And it's more central for the brothers to get to. So, uh, yeah, so that that's a real joy. It's exciting and it's a long time coming.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, 12 years and uh, I mean, uh, oh, yeah, but I, I remember I was a, a deacon and uh, I was serving at Sacred Heart Parish with Father Tom Blondin and I was a transition deacon and, you know, I was putting on the vestments and, you know, I, I kind of got a, a little bit annoyed about this, the, the, you know, the, the deacon stole slipping off over my shoulder. And I thought, oh, I can't wait to get the priest stole. And he says, enjoy <laughs> it while you can. You know, this is this is a sacred time. Um, to be a transitional deacon, you to be able to experience being a servant in the church in a very unique way. And and to this day, you know, I still think fondly of my time as a deacon and I still have that attitude of service. And and I imagine that's the same attitude with you as you grow into your priesthood will be a sense of service, especially service of the poor. That that doesn't go away. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. I said it best because that's good advice. And I thank you for that because it's true. Um, you know, the priesthood, and of course, religious life, everything has got to be about serving, right? Serving God's people, serving others. Because if we do that, we don't do that, then we just focus too much on ourselves. And then that's, I don't think a vocation can be life giving after that.
0: Beautiful. um Before we wrap up, uh Brother Mike, um there might be some young men and women listening or, or watching this program, and they might be discerning religious life, or especially young men who are discerning the priesthood. What's one piece of advice that in your own discernment that helped you that you could share with us tonight, today?
1: I think the one thing I would share uh, for advice would be to always be open to what God is calling you to, whether it's priesthood, religious life, marriage, single life, or anything, even if it's just going to help your brother or your little sister out, or helping an aunt or grandmother or parents, God can really surprise you. Pope Francis always says God is a God of surprises and I think it's so true and I remember Bishop Dabrowski told me that uh, in this homily at my ordination for the diaconate it's God is a God of surprises and always that's why I say be open to what God asks of you it might be in the most smallest ways possible that you don't know and don't understand but God is going to use those moments and later on for his will for his good and for the good of all and eventually later on maybe in life maybe 20 30 years later you'll notice that you know what that situation that i was asked to do god worked in that and god led me through that so i would say be open to god and what he asks of you because uh, and, and discern that and pray have a life of prayer um, and, and if you're encouraged in a vocation direct in a religious life or a priesthood get a spiritual director someone who will talk to you it could be a priest or a nun or anyone who is qualified to listen to you and talk to you about the way of prayer and can walk with you with discernment and because many things we go through and we're to be open to something new and challenging requires discernment and prayer and we need People who are very wise to listen to and talk us, talk to us, and help us be able to discern what God has planned for us.
0: Amen, brother Mike. If someone wants to contact you as a new vocations director, what's the best way to, to get connected with you?
1: Well, one is my phone number, or the easiest way here would be email, and it's um, michaelanthony.m at gmail.com
0: beautiful yes so uh before we go uh brother mike do you mind giving us uh, a final prayer and a blessing
1: absolutely thank you in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen good and gracious god we thank you for have journeyed for having journeyed with us through this advent season we thank you for becoming one of us for coming to us as a child And as we celebrate your birth in the coming days, two days, we ask that you be with us and strengthen us and give us hope, especially during this time of the pandemic, that all of us may be true servants and disciples of yours yours, and do your holy will. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. May mighty God bless us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Brother Mike, thank you for taking. Thanks be to God. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to meet with us and to share your story. And uh, as a brother vocations director, I'm I'm rooting for you. I know it's it's a tough job, but someone's got to do it, and the Lord picks the right men at the right time. That's my that's my experience with this.
1: Thank you, thank you, Father Santos, and it's been a pleasure coming here. And thank you for having me. And I wish you a very Merry Christmas, and also everyone watching, very Happy New Year and Merry Christmas. And may the good Lord be with us all.
0: Amen. I'm your host, Father Danny. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Discover the Vocation. Join us next month. Same vocation time, same vocations channel. God bless. Bye-bye.